If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood maniac on the loose. Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. The Fourth Floor I'm a female nurse who works in the dialysis center on the first floor of a hospital. This is an old hospital that was built in the 1930s. The dialysis center is the only functioning unit in the entire hospital. The second and third floors had been used as offices up until a year or so ago. Now they sit empty. The fourth floor is used for storage only. My supervisor gave me a list of items they needed from the fourth floor. I had never been there before, but several of my co-workers had told me that they've heard unusual sounds when they were on the fourth floor. One person told me they heard a heart monitor beeping even though nothing has been hooked up on that floor in decades. Others had told me they heard footsteps and doors closing. It was getting late, and the last of the patients had left, along with all of the employees except for me and my supervisor. I took the elevator up to the fourth floor. I stepped out and was a little surprised. They said it was used for storage, so I had imagined orderly stacks of files and equipment. What I saw was basically a garbage dump. Various pieces of old hospital equipment, computer monitors, tarps, tools, chairs, old scales, desks, loose files, and just about anything you would expect to find in a hospital were tossed about in an extremely disorderly fashion. This was the place where unwanted items came to die. The floors were stained from years of wear and tear. Portions were covered in a layer of dust. Cobwebs crept out from every corner. Many ceiling tiles were missing. Those that weren't were stained with water damage. It was a really sad state of affairs on that fourth floor. The list of things my supervisor wanted was extensive, so I had a rolling cart with me. All of the lights on the floor were shut off. My supervisor told me there was a breaker box in a closet on the other side of the elevator, and if I flipped the breaker switch, enough lights would come on for me to see well enough. 
I opened the closet door to be greeted by a large scattering of mouse crap and a pair of old vaginal speculum forceps. I found myself hoping that they had been washed since their last usage. I stepped into the closet, opened the breaker box, and flipped the switch. Nothing. Not one single light came on. I figured I'd just get as much as I could done as long as it was still bright enough for me to see, and then I'd get the rest tomorrow during the day. If my supervisor insisted on getting it all tonight, he'd have to come back up with me and turn the damn lights on himself. I pushed the cart all over that musty floor looking for the things he wanted. There was no rhyme or reason to anything up there. Many of the rooms were full to the brim with various items. Some were completely empty. A few still had hospital beds in them with sheets and pillows still on the bed. I was making good progress, but the sun was fading fast, and it was getting difficult to see. A normal person would have left by now, but I was in a groove and I was determined to get as much done as I could. I stopped when it got to the point where I could barely make out my hand in front of my face. I actually had to feel my way around to get out of the room I was in. When I got to the fourth floor corridor, I could see better. There were windows on each end of the corridor. Fortunately, tonight the moon was strong and was shining through the windows bright enough for me to make my way back toward the elevator without bumping into something. That's when I noticed something that was out of place even for this neglected floor. At the far end of the corridor, standing in front of the window, I could make out the silhouette of a woman. I could see her long, dark hair. The moonlight was shining on her enough that I could make out that she appeared to be wearing a light-colored hospital gown. She looked like a hospital patient. She was just standing there, staring at me. Again, the only functioning unit in this hospital is the dialysis unit, and those patients get their dialysis and leave. They never stay overnight, and they never wear gowns. It had been at least two decades since any patients had actually stayed in this hospital, so this was really odd and eerie. And then, the figure stepped forward. I ran to the elevator and pushed the call button. I could hear the elevator roar to life, but it was coming up from the first floor and moving slow. My breath quickened as I heard slippers scraping across the floor. They were getting closer. I continued to push the elevator call button, fruitlessly hoping it would somehow make the elevator get there faster, but it continued its snail-slow ascent. The slipper socks were still sliding across the floor in erratic but deliberate fashion. The sound was getting closer. Closer. They had to be right around that corner. I couldn't wait any longer. I darted out of the elevator foyer, into the corridor, and raced in the opposite direction of the woman in the gown. I could hear her slippers sliding faster now, as if she were chasing me. I prayed that the stairwell door wasn't chained shut like some of them were in this hospital. If they were, there'd be no escape from whoever, or whatever the hell that is. I got to the stairwell door, turned up on the handle, and pushed the door, but it did not budge. 
I could hear the erratic sound of the slippers sliding toward me fast. They were close, and I swear I heard a breathy moaning sound. I screamed and pushed down on the handle. I guess this was one of those doors where pulling up doesn't move the latch, but pushing down does, because I heard the latch click. I kicked that door open and tore down those stairs, screaming the whole way. I told my supervisor what happened. That crazy bastard told me to wait there while he checked it out. I told him to wait and I'd call security, but he was having none of it and took the elevator up. I watched the panel on the elevator go from the first floor, second floor, third floor, and then stop at the fourth floor. It seemed like hours, but it was probably mere minutes, before I heard a distant ding and watched the elevator panel flick from the fourth floor to the third floor. It was coming back down. I hope that's my supervisor. The light changes from the third floor to the second floor. But what if it's not him? The light changes from the second floor, and I hear a loud ding indicating that the elevator is now on the first floor and the doors are about to open. What if it's that woman in the hospital gown? I prepared myself to run like the wind if I saw anyone other than my supervisor standing there. The elevator doors opened. It was empty. Suddenly everything got cold and I got the eeriest feeling. I broke out in goosebumps and turned to run. I screamed when I bumped into someone. My supervisor. Yeah, I didn't see anyone up there. Weird thing was, I couldn't get the elevator to work, so I just took the stairs to get back down. I pointed to the open elevator doors. He crinkled his brow in confusion, wondering the same thing I was. The elevator wouldn't have come back down unless someone got into it on the fourth floor and pushed the button to bring them down to the first floor. Who did it? And where were they now? Moving Day My sister and her family were moving into a new house. My brother and I were helping her move. We're both big guys and we're in our thirties when this happened. There was an exterior concrete staircase that led to a door that gave me outside access to the basement. My brother and I were bringing some furniture in down there from a small moving van. My sister was moving stuff upstairs from her car. We could hear her moving around on the floor above us as she unpacked. After a while, she hollered down that she was going to leave and get another load. I heard her leave the house, shut the door, and could hear her car start up and drive away. My brother and I went back out to the moving truck and carried in a small sofa. When we sat it down on the basement ground, we both heard a few footsteps on the floor above us. The steps were very subtle and faint, like those of a child. We called up to see if my sister had come back, but she didn't answer, and everything was quiet. No more movement. We both shrugged it off and got back to unloading the van. We didn't notice anything else and kind of forgot about it until we were almost finished unloading. I had a small end table in my hands. I carried it down the concrete stairs and turned the knob to open the door. But the door was locked. The interesting thing was, 
that the basement door didn't have a lock on the knob. The only way to lock that door was with a deadbolt inside. I knocked on the door and called out for my brother to open the door, and then I heard his voice. What are you talking about? But his voice didn't come from inside the house. It came from behind me. I turned around and saw him standing there with a box in his hands. We thought maybe our sister came back. Perhaps she thought we already left and locked the door. So we walked around to the front of the house. Her car wasn't there. We entered through the front door and called out, but nobody answered. We walked through the entire house and inspected it, but we were alone. Eventually, we went down into the basement and undid the deadbolt so we could finish unloading. We finished up and did not experience anything else, but that was definitely strange. The deadbolt was locked from inside. But if nobody was in the house, who or what locked it? The Company Graveyard My great-grandfather is buried in a location simply referred to as the Company Graveyard. The graveyard is approximately 30 minutes from where I live. When my aunt and uncle visit from out of state, they like to visit his grave, not only to pay respects, but also to experience the creepy factor which the company graveyard has in abundance. For one, it's very old. Many of the gravestones have markings that date back to the early 1800s. It's also in the middle of nowhere. One has to drive down a long, lonely, winding gravel road to reach it. But the creepiest thing about the company graveyard is that it's abandoned, and has been for quite some time, to the point where a forest has grown up both around and within it. So in order to see any of the grave sites, you have to venture through the woods. In an attempt to amp the creepy factor up to the maximum, the three of us decided to visit the company graveyard at night. We all brought flashlights, made our way up the eerie gravel road, and stopped once we were greeted by a dilapidated rusty fence that lines the front of the graveyard. The majority of the fence is overrun by twisted vines and brush, but it can be seen. We get out of the car and begin making our way to the edge of the woods that line the graveyard. We have to watch our steps carefully because many of the grave sites are now sunken, some a good yard into the earth. One grave site we notice on the outskirts of the forest is sunken so deep and washed away that you can see the corner of the coffin peeping through the dirt. We trek deep into the woods and finally reach my great-grandfather's gravesite. As we always do, we clear any growth away before it has a chance to take hold. His headstone is still in good shape and easy to read. This is unlike many of the gravesites, whose headstones are so weathered away by time and elements that the etchings are barely legible. After paying our respects, we wander further into the forest, exploring our eerie surroundings, and getting a better look at the historic gravesites. 
It's sad how many of them are completely neglected and forgotten. Trees grow from many of the sites. Others have been completely overtaken by the surroundings, rendering them nearly invisible. I was trying to read the years on an overturned tombstone when I heard my aunt scream and my uncle stating something unintelligible. I turned and hurried toward the beam of their flashlights. My aunt was white as a ghost and was pointing down into an incredibly deep sunken grave. I focused my attention on what their lights were fixed on. I could see it was something down in the corner of the grave. I helped brighten the area with the beam of my flashlight. What is that? At first, I thought I was looking at a pile of gravel, but once my eyes focused, I could make out exactly what it was. A skeleton hand. Holy shit. After some discussion between the three of us, we concluded that this person had probably been buried in a delicate wood coffin that had long since rotted away. And as the grave sank and washed away, the skeleton of the person buried there was becoming exposed. It was a spine-chilling experience and we hightailed it out of there, but our night wasn't over yet. We got into the car and began snaking our way down the desolate gravel road away from the graveyard. My uncle was driving, my aunt was in the passenger seat, and I was sitting in the back seat. I noticed a figure up ahead to the right, just out of view of the car's headlights. It wasn't moving, it was just standing there stationary. As the road twisted to the right and the beams of the headlights exposed the object, I fully expected to see a deer. Instead, what I saw was a gigantic wall of mist dissipating inward. Within a second of the headlights beam hitting it, the mist was gone. I immediately said, what the hell was that? My uncle looked back at me wide-eyed and said, I'm glad you saw that too. I don't know what that mist was, but before the light hit that thing, it was solid, and it vanished almost the instant it came into our view. Almost as though we saw something we weren't supposed to. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to support the show, Buy some of my books, I have a bunch of them, and most of them are free with Kindle Unlimited. Don't have Kindle Unlimited? No problem, they're all priced pretty cheap. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. Gettysburg When I was in my late 20s, my girlfriend and I took a weekend trip to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. As soon as we got close, I had the weirdest feeling of deja vu. It just felt so familiar. Everywhere we went, I felt like I knew what was going to be around the next corner. And for the record, I had never been anywhere near the state of Pennsylvania before, let alone the town of Gettysburg. Even though the deja vu was strange, it wasn't scary. There was almost a comforting feel to it, kind of like... I was home. We camped out one night, went horseback riding over the main battlefield, checked out various museums, and lounged in several historic restaurants. 
all the while I felt like I had been there before. Our final night there, I was planning on just chilling out. After all, we did have a long drive ahead of us the next day. But my girlfriend was really keen on taking one of the several ghost tours the town had to offer. At first I was reluctant, but it wasn't long before I was thoroughly enjoying myself and thankful to my girlfriend for urging me to do it. It was a fascinating experience. For me, it felt like revisiting an old hometown I had long since been removed from. The tour took us past the Daniel Lady Farm. During the battle, the house was used as a Confederate field hospital. The tour guide said that blood stains some of the wood in the house to this day. As we stood outside, I was overwhelmed by the stench of rotting flesh and stale blood. I asked my girlfriend if she could smell that, and she said she didn't and was clearly confused. She had no idea what I was talking about. I could hear swarms of flies buzzing around my head. I swatted at them and a few people on the tour looked at me like I was crazy. I was also weighted down by a heavy sadness that washed over me. Was I the only one experiencing all of this? We then visited an area of the battlefield referred to as Devil's Den. As the tour guide rattled off the history of the horrific battles that took place there, I could have sworn I heard the distant sound of gunshots and drums. Another place on the tour was the Jenny Wade House. She's famous for being the only civilian casualty during the entire battle. A statue of her adorns the front yard. As we stood looking at the ancient brick house, I could see the silhouette of a woman in one of the upstairs windows pull the window curtain back slightly before vanishing. I couldn't help but call out and point to the window. I asked if anyone else saw it, but nobody did, and the tour guide insisted that there wasn't anybody currently in the house. We then visited a place called the Farnsworth House. The entire side of the building is scarred from gunfire. They led us up to the attic and showed us a small window where a sniper fired from. As I looked through the window, I could hear the endless crack of musket balls bouncing against the bricks. I felt the need to duck for cover. I had the feeling of helplessness as if someone were coming up there to get me. To kill me. I actually had to excuse myself from the attic. Finally, the tour ended at the Gettysburg National Cemetery. Over 4,000 war graves cover the grounds. I felt oddly comfortable there, as if I were surrounded by family and friends, almost like I was home. When the tour ended, I was exhausted. I slept heavy that night. I dreamt of being in battle. My dreams were invaded by clouds of smoke, battle cries, gunshots, cannon fire, and death. After we returned home, my girlfriend anxiously called me over to the computer as she downloaded all of the pictures from our trip. They were standard vacation pictures until we got to the ghost tour photos. In a photo at the Daniel Lady Farm, there appears to be a misty image of bodies stacked up outside the house. At the Devil's Den, one of the photos has a dark, shadowy silhouette of a man who appears to be holding a rifle. 
One of the pictures we have from the Jenny Wade house shows the upstairs curtain being held open. In the photos of the Farnsworth house attic, there appears to be bloodstains covering the walls. The strangest thing was that in every photo of me on that tour, my eyes were ghostly white, much like the eyes of the foggy platoon of soldiers who were standing behind me in one of the photos at the Gettysburg National Cemetery. I'm a female and I was 14 years old when this happened. My grandparents lived in a different state from us, so whenever my family visited them, we'd stay for a couple of nights. Bedrooms were limited in the house. My grandparents had theirs, and my mom and dad would sleep in the guest bedroom. My brother and I would share the sofa bed that was in my grandfather's den. My grandfather was a hunter, and the den was decked out in various animal heads. It always gave me the creeps like they were watching me. On this particular night, we had gotten to my grandparents' house in the evening. After spending some time chatting with them, my brother and I sat down in the living room and started watching TV. My brother is four years younger than me, so our taste in television programs is vastly different, but we agreed on watching a rerun of The Andy Griffith Show. At some point, I nodded off. When I woke up, all of the lights in the TV room were off. The flickering glow of the television was the only illumination I had. The house was quiet. I didn't hear anyone else talking. My impression was that everyone went to bed, so I decided to do the same. I walked into the den. There was a small desk lamp on in the corner that lit the room up enough for me to see that the sofa bed had already been pulled out and made up. I could see the figure of my brother under the covers on one side of the bed. I quietly, softly got into bed so as not to disturb him and covered myself up. I closed my eyes and was about to drift off when my brother kicked me in the back. I hated sharing a bed with my brother because he often tossed and turned, so unfortunately, getting kicked like this wasn't out of the ordinary. I let out a frustrated breath and attempted to close my eyes again. This time, he pushed me in the back, quite hard. Hey! I yelled and shoved him back. The peculiar thing was, when I shoved him, he felt solid and didn't budge. My brother is a thin, wiry kid on the small side. There's nothing solid about him. Then I noticed his breathing. It was deep and raspy. It didn't sound like my brother. All of a sudden I felt his hands press against my back and he purposely pushed me out of the bed. The odd strength that he pushed me with was lost on me in the moment because I was so pissed off. I screamed at him, what are you doing? Then I heard a voice, who are you talking to? It was the voice of my brother, but it wasn't coming from the bed. I turned my head to see my brother standing in his pajamas in the den doorway. If my brother is over there, who is in the bed? I looked back down at the bed, grabbed the covers, and pulled them off. The bed was empty.
The Laundry Room Ghost We were having a new house built, and it wasn't ready yet. Being that we had already sold our previous house, we needed to rent a home for approximately six months or so. The house we rented was nothing special. It looked like an ordinary two-story house. It didn't have an aged, sinister appearance or anything like that. It was the kind of house that could fit into most any neighborhood, and folks wouldn't give it a second glance. For our needs, the house was perfect. It was close to where both my husband and I worked, and the school was in walking distance for our two early teenage daughters. The main floor consisted of a spacious living room, small dining area, and average kitchen. There were three bedrooms and a bathroom upstairs. And then there was the basement. It was a full basement that was partially finished. Since we were only going to be in the house for six months, we only partially unpacked and used the basement to store an assortment of unpacked boxes full of non-essentials. The basement was also where the laundry room was housed. The laundry room was of modest size. There was plenty of room for the washer and dryer. There was nice counter space next to them that made it convenient for folding clothes and placing laundry baskets on. Overall, the room had lots of extra space that for our needs wasn't necessary. There was also a crawl space at the back of the laundry room. The crawl space was eye level, so if anyone wanted to go in there, they'd have to hoist themselves up or even use a step stool. A flimsy door hook was the only thing that kept the frail, weather, wooden crawl space door closed. When the crawl space door was open, you could only see in a few feet before it was swallowed by darkness. Even if you shined a flashlight in there, you couldn't see where it ended. It seemed unusually long. The floor of the crawl space was covered with damp pea gravel. With a husband and two young girls, I spent a fair amount of time in the laundry room, and for the first couple of months, nothing unusual happened. Then, things started getting weird. My routine was that when the clothes were dry, I'd take them out of the dryer, fold them, and put them in a laundry basket. Once the basket was full, I'd take it upstairs and put the clothes away. One day, I finished folding clothes and put them in the laundry basket. The basket wasn't full yet, and I had another load of clothes in the dryer, so I went upstairs to do a few things while I waited for them to dry. After I heard the dryer buzzer go off, I went back downstairs. When I entered the laundry room, I started toward the dryer, but paused when I noticed something odd. A few dish towels were on the floor. I distinctly remembered folding them and putting them in the laundry basket, but I shrugged it off assuming I just dropped them without realizing it. The following week, I went through the same procedure. I folded clothes, put them in the laundry basket, and went upstairs while I waited for the next load to finish. When the dryer buzzer went off, I went downstairs, stepped into the laundry room, and froze when I saw several items from the laundry basket on the floor. There must have been a dozen different items out of the basket. 
I shook my head knowing that there was no way I dropped all of those. It was strange, but I didn't find it too alarming. In the back of my head, I knew there had to be a rational explanation for this. The next week, I was doing laundry in the evening, so I wasn't home alone. I folded the clothes that were finished, put them in the laundry basket, and went upstairs. This time, I had dinner with my husband and daughters. As soon as dinner was finished, they all began the dishwashing duties while I went back downstairs to attend to the laundry. When I stepped into the laundry room, I gasped. All of the contents from the basket were tossed around the entire laundry room. Before my mind could wrap around what had happened, I heard gravel shuffling from within the crawl space. It was distant, but constant. Someone or something was crawling around in there. I slowly approached the crawlspace door and carefully undid the hook, all while still hearing something clearly moving inside the crawlspace. I quickly pulled the flimsy door open. Immediately, the shuffling stopped. Who's in there? I called out and listened carefully. At first, it was deathly silent, but then I heard what sounded like a squeak in the distance. And then again. It took me a few seconds to realize that it wasn't a squeak at all. It was a wheezing breath, like the breath of an old, lifelong smoker with emphysema. I screamed. My husband came running and asked what was wrong. I told him what happened and pointed at the crawl space. Someone's in there. He grabbed a flashlight, hoisted himself up, and quickly crawled deep into the crawl space. I watched on as he got deeper and deeper. Finally, he stopped, and we both just listened. The wheezing wasn't there anymore. Everything was silent, and he didn't see anything unusual. People looking for logical explanations may say that one of the kids did this as a joke. But the first two times it happened, they weren't even home. And the last time, I saw them and my husband all from the moment I went upstairs until I went back downstairs. And we were the only ones in the house. I don't know what it was, but for the remainder of our stay there, I just tossed the dry clothes into the laundry basket and folded them upstairs. I was relieved when our new house was finished and we finally got the hell out of there. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Be sure to visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for the free newsletter and receive a free book and movie. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Most of my books are now available as audiobooks. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash audiobooks. <laughs>